Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. This is the last sermon in our series, Worship and Worldview, and we're looking at a familiar text, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Considering the challenges that we're dealing with, we need to remind ourselves that we are living in a spiritual battle. There's a war all, all around us, and the text will remind us of that truth. In my studies this week, I came across uh, this, uh, this article that was first put in a newspaper several years ago. It reads like this. A man hunting for deer in a remote area of northern California climbed onto a ledge when a rattlesnake lunged at him, barely missing his neck. He instinctively grabbed the serpent several inches behind the head to keep from being bitten as the snake wrapped itself around his neck and shook its rattle furiously. When he tried to pull the reptile off, he discovered the fangs were caught in his wool sweater, and he began to feel the venom dripping down the skin of his neck. He fell backward, slid headfirst down the steep slope through the brush, and lava rocks, his rifle and binoculars bouncing beside him. He ended up wedged between some rocks with his feet caught uphill from his head. Barely able to move, he got his right hand on his rifle and used it to disengage the fangs from his sweater, but the snake still had enough leverage to strike again. The serpent lunged at him over and over, he kept his face turned so the rattler couldn't get a good angle with its fangs, but he could feel the snake bumping its nose just below his eye. Some of you are ready to walk out of church today. You can't even imagine that. I've never experienced something that dramatic. We'll say this, though. That is the kind of spiritual life we are living we are living with an enemy that we are wrestling with who wants to destroy us, defeat us, poison us, and kill us. The text in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul uses this language, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Our warfare is not against rattlesnakes, although some of you may disagree. But we do wrestle. That is a word used about the, the Greek Olympians. Wrestling was a, was a sport, was something they did in theater, they did in, in, in great arenas. And you would get a crown, you would get, get noted for your victory if you wrestled for the win, wrestled for the victory. And that type of wrestling is exactly what's depicted in the illustration and exactly what's depicted for us as followers of Jesus. Christians, we are at war quite simply. All too often, we live as if we're at peacetime. In a classic spiritual, uh, spiritual devotional book penned some 500 years ago or so, William Gurnall Smith put it this way. He said, this war is a spiritual holocaust. Either you destroy the power of Satan in your life by putting on the whole armor of God and keeping it on, or Satan will destroy you. The great saints of every century have been tried in the fires of temptation. And to a man they have been singed whenever Satan found the smallest chink in their graces. Do not disregard what history has repeatedly shown us to be true. Let's see what Paul has to say about this theme, 
Spiritual Warfare, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Also for me, that words may be given to me, and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly, as I ought to speak. There are two truths that I find in the text, and then we'll look at three specific imperatives that Paul gives us for putting those truths into practice. The first one I've mentioned already, Christians, we're at war. Too many Christians falter in their faith because they live as if we're at peace. And I recognize, fully recognize, that, that there, is a, 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 there are a whole host of tensions that surround us. And lest we give the devil credit for everything, and, and there are some extremes. Some people blame the devil for every sin that they've ever committed. And some people don't even think that the devil is in existence. But let me just remind you that Satan wants to not only destroy us, but he wants to get at us in the most common and ordinary ways humanly possible. Think about this. Lives are destroyed because the enemy's temptations succeed. There are, there are times where the enemy, all he wants to do is make us dishonest. There are times where he wants to damage our purity. There are times where he wants to make us a little bit unrighteous and then wallow in our unrighteousness, either in shame, sadness, or grief, or a recognition that we'll never get past that sin, and so we just continue to wallow in unrighteousness. How many people have been devastated by the devil's temptations and hold on their lives through all sort of common, ordinary temptations? Maybe it's addictions alcoholism or drugs or sexual addictions. Maybe it's attitude. Maybe it's a way of behavior. Maybe it's the way that we act. Maybe it's that we don't believe. Whatever it is, I just want to remind you that, Christian, we are at war. And while we have enemies, our own self and spiritual, our own bodies and flesh... As, as John would tell us, that we're at war with the world and we're at war with our flesh and we're at war with the enemy. Paul comes back in this text and he reminds us that our spiritual battle is not primarily a physical one. It is a spiritual battle. And all too often we lose sight of that. All too often we kind of placidly, apathetically walk through life not recognizing that there's an enemy that wants to destroy us and not remembering that there's a God who dwells within us. So we just kind of hover in Christian life. Lack of victory, lack of joy, lack of peace, lack of perspective, certainly a, a lack of success spiritually. Why is that? 
I think in many cases it's because so many Christians have forgotten this truth that Paul reminds us of. We're at war. And so they don't act as if they're at war. They act as if everything is just fine. Completely missing the point. The second truth that I think flows out of the text is the reminder of who we're at war with. We live in a world, Christian, of supernatural enemies. Paul is quick to say here (coughs) that our warfare is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle, our wrestling with, uh, with, with the sinful forces in our world, it's not with flesh and blood. I fully realize that, that we are living in what we have, have talked about probably for the last 40 or 50 years or so in, in the culture wars where you have the, the political right and the political left at odds with each other, significantly at odds with each other over worldview issues, over values, over belief systems, what we, what we say is right. And, and folks, that is a legitimate, real expression of living out a Christian worldview, recognizing that we're in a world where people think differently than us. We've spent an entire sermon series reminding ourselves of the fact that we as Christians have to have biblical perspectives and stand firm on those truths in living out our Christ-based worldview in a world that doesn't see the same, see things the same way that we do. But even with that true, we need to remind ourselves our primary war is not with the other political party. It's not with physical enemies such as nations and nation-states. Our primary war is Christians because we're a part of the kingdom of God that we've sung about this morning and reminded ourselves of, our primary war is not physical, it's spiritual. It's against the enemies around us that want to destroy us. Now, as Christians in the West, that, that becomes a little bit disconcerting. It, you, you and I have read our Bibles, so we believe that there are demonic oppression and demonic possessions that do take place. We see that in the New Testament. We see Jesus interact with demons. And yet, there's a part of that that makes us a little bit uncomfortable. Maybe even a little more uncomfortable if we think about it than imagining ourselves in the plight of that hunter with the, the snake hooked to his wool sweater. Because we live in a world in the West where the supernatural elements of the world have, have long been kind of thought of as either non-existent or certainly not relevant. The world in which Jesus found himself is a world that was very comfortable with supernatural realities. You go to other parts of the world, places in, in, the, in the Far East or places in Africa, places in the Third World, they're very comfortable with spiritual realities demons. And in this text, Paul uses a variety of terms to describe these spiritual enemies. He talks about normal terms or, or the ideas of, uh, of demons that are in spiritual, their, their spiritual powers. Now, he doesn't give us those four terms. You can look at them there in uh, verse, where are we? Uh, verse 12, we do not re- wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul doesn't give us those terms to kind of help us to have this kind of weird ideology about spiritual warfare, that there are these spiritual demons that we need to know about who are over Wilkesboro or over North Carolina or over the United States. It's not why he gives us those. He's giving us a holistic pattern of the reality that there are spiritual enemies out there. There are destructive forces, demons, Satan, minions who want to take us uh, to task, who want to defeat us, who want to destroy us, who want to wipe us away. 
And if we're going to have, first of all, a biblical worldview, we need to remember that we live in a world that is, is encumbered with spiritual powers. The demonic is real, regardless of what the polls say. A particular study recently said that, uh, that the belief in, all spi- in, in spiritual entities has fallen between three to five points since 2016. Belief in God and heaven has dropped 16 points. Belief in hell has fallen 12 points. Belief in the devil and angels has decreased by 10 points. 74% of Americans recently said they believe in God. But watch this. Only 59% and 58% say they believe in a hell and in the devil. Our, our, our country, regardless of what the polls say, there is a devil who is out there who wants to destroy us. And we need to be aware that we live in a world full of spiritual enemies. You say, how do I make sense of that in the Western world in which we live? Well, just know this. We live in a world that has been shaped by modernistic or scientific frames of thought. That truth can only be found in what we discover through science or rational explanation. That's not a full-orbed understanding of truth. It misses out on so many elements. Why do we live in that world? Folks, because we live in a spiritual war. Satan has done a masterful job of deceiving so many in the cultural West, in in, in, in our country of not believing that he exists. And he has them right where he wants them when they don't believe that he exists. Because then he he can control them, whether they realize that he's there and present or not. Yet we don't need to fall into the trap of the other extreme and blame the devil for everything. Paul doesn't do that here in the text. What Paul does is he says to us, Christian, we are a part of a spiritual war. Paul Tripp puts it this way. He says... He emphasizes that the Bible normalizes rather than dramatizes spiritual warfare. In other words, we're, we're not, we're, the Bible doesn't, doesn't make it this weird thing. It just describes that Jesus defeated the demonic, defeated the powers, ruled over them. And Christian, if we live in his world, we live in a world where there are demonic forces and powers that are out to destroy us. Clinton Arnold, who is uh, so essentially a, a spiritual warfare expert, wrote this in one of his books. He said, We are suggesting that life is not just biology, that there is a uniquely spiritual dimension to reality. There are unseen personal forces that have an impact on day-to-day life, and not all of these spirits are positive and benevolent. There are many that are evil and bent on destruction. And the Bible calls Christians to be aware of this and to prepare them for a struggle. So how are we to prepare for this struggle? Paul gives us three specific imperatives in the text. They're they're verbs that he used and said, here's what you do. We are in a spiritual war. We have supernatural enemies. How in the world do we prepare ourselves against supernatural enemies? He says, first of all, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Folks, The success of your spiritual life does not depend on your own spiritual strength. You may be sitting in the congregation today saying, I'm not very mature spiritually, or I've not grown enough, or I'm not strong enough. I would just tell you you're exactly right, just like me. Our strength does not reside within us. Our strength is alien to us. It came from outside of us in the person of God through Jesus Christ, and it, it dwells within us. 
One of the reasons Paul uses those language about spiritual authorities and powers and all of that is because if you'll flip over to chapter 1 for just a moment in the book of Ephesians, and read to you a verse of scripture that should encourage you. Paul is praying for the church at Ephesus, and he prays this. He prays that we as God's people would have the eyes of our hearts, this verse 18, enlightened, that we may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head, that is Jesus, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Our responsibility is not to be strong in ourselves, is to be strong in the Lord. Why? Because the power of God raised Jesus from the dead. All of us, I think, here in the room today have testified to a Christian experience. We believe the gospel of Jesus. We have accepted that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. But have you thought about what that means? A dead person came out of the grave and he never was, never was, never will be dead again. That is immeasurable, glorious, life-giving power. And that power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that Paul prayed that the church would know, that we as his people would know that power. The reason we can be strong in the Lord, the reason he commands us to be strong in the Lord, is because the strength that comes from outside of us in the person of Jesus Christ to dwell within us is greater than all of the powers that could ever surround us, tempt us, destroy us, defeat us, or cause despair in us. That power is available to us. That's what Paul's praying. And if it wasn't clear enough, Paul said, Jesus, who is raised victorious, is seated in the heavenly places, which we don't have time to go into this. But in chapter 1, we're already seated with him in the heavenly places because that's what God has done in making us his followers. Jesus is seated in the heavenly places far above all principalities, rules, powers, and authorities. The same types of language Paul used in Ephesians chapter 6. The reason we can be strong in the Lord, folks, is because our Lord who raised, us, raised Jesus from the dead dwells within us and empowers us to spiritual victory. Here's, why, here's what that means. There is not an enemy you can ever face that Christ hasn't already defeated. There's not a spiritual temptation there's not a circumstance in your life. There's not a spiritual enemy, a demon, demonic power that can attack you that has ever defeated Jesus or ever will defeat Jesus. The reason we can be strong in the Lord is because our Lord is gloriously, wondrously, forever victorious and strong. Our strength has to come from Him. Chuck Lawless puts it this way. He says, biblical spiritual warfare is not about knowing Satan. It is about so knowing God and walking with him that we rec readily recognize the counterfeit offers of the enemy. Do you want to know how to grow in your spiritual life? Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Do you want to know how to be ready to stand against the spiritual temptations that are going to come your way or are already coming your way? Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You say, maybe I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sensing a lot of spiritual battle in my life. 
Well, maybe because Satan already has you. Satan doesn't really attack those that he's not disturbed by. But I'll tell you this, you start growing in relationship with God and seeking his strength and seeking to rely on him. And I'm going to tell you something. You're going to see and experience spiritual attacks because Satan hates that. And he wants to fight against that in your life and in my life as followers of Jesus. The first imperative is to be strong, not in ourselves, but be strong in the Lord. And then Paul goes on to say, how do we go about doing that? How do we make sure that we remain strong in the Lord? And then he gives us the second imperative, the command in the text, put on the whole armor of God. And a lot of times we dramatize this. We think of ourselves a little bit like Pilgrim's Progress, where the character, the character there in Pilgrim's Progress attaches the spiritual armor and he fights against Apollyon the demonic angel or the demon spirit in, in the story. And, and it's a beautiful description of spiritual warfare. But, but folks, we don't need to dramatize this picture. The picture of the armor that Paul looks out and probably imagining a Roman soldier, a Roman centurion standing there, that metaphor image it is filled with language all throughout the book of Ephesians. In other words, we're to put on the whole armor of God. He starts with the belt of truth. Uh, it's simply what that means, we're to put on truth. You and I are to stand on the truth of God's word. You and I are to be people of integrity and truthfulness in the way that we speak. That's, that's who we're to be. Well, that's language he's already used. In, in, in chapter 1, verse 13, we're to listen to the message of truth. This is the book of Ephesians. In chapter 4, verse 15, we're to speak the truth in love. In chapter 4, verse 24, the truth is in Jesus. In chapter 4, 25, we're to, we're to experience the holiness of truth. We're to speak truth in chapter 5, verse 9. In other words, truth has already permeated the entirety of the book of Ephesians. What Paul is saying is the first step in putting on the armor of God is to dwell in truth. It's for us to be people of, who speak integrity based on the truth of God's word in Jesus Christ. So you want to be ready for spiritual battles, be a person of truth. Ground yourself in the truth of scripture. Trust in God's word. Be a person of integrity. What you say, you should mean. When you find yourself caught in deception, deception is of the devil. And, and uh, let's just be frank for a second. We're all guilty of it. We're all guilty of saying something that we don't quite mean to make ourselves appear a little better. Well, here's what Paul is saying. That's of the devil. That's an attack of the enemy. What we need to be is people who are willing to hold on to truth, to be people of integrity, to be people of righteousness. And when we find ourselves at fault and not speaking the truth, what do we do? We confess it, we repent of it, and we come back to Christ because Christ is the truth. So we need to be people of truth. Not only that, that you have the belt of truth, you have the breastplate of righteousness, a picture of God's righteousness. This is not internal righteousness. This is not our righteousness. Uh, the book of Isaiah says, our righteousness is as filthy rags. This is alien righteousness. This is outside of us righteousness. It's the righteousness of God, our warrior, that Paul, I think, had in mind when he's thinking about this text. I think he had in mind God who put on a breastplate of righteousness. In the book of Isaiah, that text we read to start our, our worship service today, God looked out and salvation could not come from, from within his people. So God put on his armor. God stepped in. God brought about salvation. God put on a breastplate of righteousness. And he's inviting us, Christian, to put on his own righteousness. And, and, and this is none other than us 
putting off the old self and putting on the new self, as Paul's already talked about in chapter 4. It's setting aside wicked things so that we can walk in the righteousness of God. The book of Ephesians has already talked about this in chapter 4, putting on the new self. The fruit of light consists in all righteousness, chapter 5, verse 9. In other words, what do we need to do? We need to walk in righteousness. You want to be ready to fight spiritual enemies, putting on the whole armor of God? Walk in righteousness. How do we do that? Well, we confess our sinfulness. Every time we gather as a body of believers, we try to have a prayer time of confession. Why? Because it is so easy for us to get caught up in our own sinfulness. Sinful patterns. So we confess and we plead God to give us the righteousness of Christ. Let me just tell you this. When Jesus died on the cross for your sins, he did not just die for your eternal conversion. He died for your daily life. He died for you to live in righteousness moment by moment, day by day, week by week. And if you're missing out on that, you're missing out on the experience of walking in God's righteousness that he invites us to participate in. So, we put on the breastplate of righteousness. He goes on to say, we put on the shoes of the gospel of peace. Uh, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Beautiful imagery. That Paul's already talked about. He's talked about grace and peace to you in chapter 1. He's talked about the message of the gospel, our salvation in chapter 2. He's talked about being partakers of the promise of Jesus through the gospel. He talks in chapter 4 about preserving the unity of the body in the spirit of peace. He's already used this kind of language. So what does he invite the Christian to do in putting on the spiritual armor? He invites us to put on the shoes of the gospel of peace. Interesting metaphor, interesting imagery going on here. The type of shoes he would have been talking about were Roman sandals that generally had nails struck through the leather part of the bottom of the sandal. Not so that they could run fast, but they functioned a little bit like cleats. So that when you were fighting and standing, you could put your feet in the ground and you could grip the ground and you wouldn't back up. That's what we're to put on. Shoes that keep us stable. Love the language here. Put on the shoes of the gospel of peace. We're at war. And yet, what are we to stand in? Peace. Because here's, here's the ultimate picture of the gospel. The gospel, as Paul described it here in this imagery... The gospel is a message that, that, that gives us the right enemy rather than the wrong enemy. People that are at war with God are going to spend eternity separated from God in eternal judgment. People that are at war with the devil are going to experience eternal peace and victory. Why is it the gospel of peace? Because our primary means of helping people turn their wars around is to help them fight the right one. Fight the right person rather than the wrong person. We don't want to be at war with God. Being at war with God means eternal separation. We want to be at war with spiritual enemies that are already defeated. And so what do we have? We have the shoes of the gospel of peace. A picture that, that is to embody the Christian life. He goes on to say, In all circumstances take the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. Again, Paul has already talked about faith in 1.15, the faith, uh, our faith in the Lord Jesus. In 2.8 and 9, we have been saved by grace through what? Through faith. 
He's already talked about faith in the text. We have one faith, chapter 4, verse 5, until we attain the unity of the faith, chapter 4, verse 13. In other words, what Paul is doing, he's normalizing the aspects of Christian living in this spiritual armor. He's giving us a metaphor and a picture. How do we fight a spiritual battle? We live the Christian life. We put on Christ and we put off of our old self. We take up the shield of faith, and the metaphor is a beautiful metaphor. This was the, the large shield that the Roman soldiers carried. And it would have been a large piece of wood that would have been covered with linen, and then it would have been smeared with some sort of uh, ointment, and then it would have had, had a type of iron uh, edges on it to kind of hold it together. And so not only would that shield protect someone against a sword or against a spear, but when someone would shoot an arrow that was a flaming arrow, the shield itself would extinguish the arrow. That was the imagery of the Roman shield there. What Paul says is we need to take up faith. The access to all of these spiritual items, these spiritual practices, the access to walking with God happens through faith. Why faith? Because faith, folks, acknowledges that our strength is not in ourselves. Faith acknowledges that our, our hope for victory is not in ourselves. God doesn't want us to wallow in defeat. He wants us to stand in victory. We do so by taking up the shield of faith. Having uh, Take up the shield of faith, and then verse 17, take up the helmet of salvation. Helmet of salvation, the message of truth, the gospel of salvation, 113. 2.5, by grace you've been saved. 2.8, by grace you've been saved. 523, he himself being the savior of the body. Here's essentially what Paul is saying. There's no hope in your spiritual battle if you don't have a victor, if you don't have a savior, if you don't have a redeemer. You need to meet Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He needs to be the one who, who has rescued you. And, and what does that mean for us as Christians? Well, that happened at some point in my past. I was 18 when I came to know Jesus. I don't know how old you were, but many of you have told me your stories, how you came to faith, faith relationship in Jesus Christ. What's Paul telling us? He's telling us to remind ourselves often and always of the fact that we've been redeemed, that we've been rescued, that we have a master, that we have a savior, that we have a redeemer, that he is the one who's in charge. He's the one sitting on heaven's throne. He's the one who has power over all the enemies. Taking up the helmet of your salvation is walking around in the identity that we are Christ followers, have been redeemed, and have been rescued. The picture here is on the emphasis that we're walking with God in spiritual habits and practices that develop these qualities in our lives. That develop truth and develop faith and develop our understanding of the gospel and sharing it and develop our understanding of Christ's righteousness imparted upon us and develop our understanding of salvation. And here's where so many Christians miss it. We come out here on a Sunday, we sing a few songs, we listen to a sermon, and then we walk out and for the rest of the week, we let all the other stuff in the world determine what we think about, pray about, think about, and dwell on in practice. If we want to have victory in, spirit, in our spiritual lives, we need to let the spiritual practices and habits of our daily behavior, reading God's Word and prayer and trusting in Him, God, the putting on of all of these elements and characteristics in our Christian experience. That's why He moves on. Take, uh, verse 17, taking the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Folks, where do we learn about how to be truthful? How to have faith. 
Where do we learn about our salvation? Where do we learn about the gospel and how to share it? Where do we learn about that? We learn about that in the Word of God. That is why we need the gathered experience of learning from God's Word. It's why we need Sunday school classes and small groups and discipleship groups. It's why I've said dozens of times as your pastor, if I could get you to do one thing, one thing only as a follower of Jesus, some of you could tell me exactly what it would be. Read your Bible every day. It's taking up the Word of God. It's holding on to where we learn about who Jesus is, that He's victorious. Where we learn about how to walk in truth. Where we learn about the gospel and living it out. Where we learn about the righteousness and salvation. And all the things we need to put on, we learn that from the Word of God. And if we miss the Word of God on a regular basis, we're going to miss our ability to stand in the armor, put on the armor of Christ, and we're going to miss our ability to experience spiritual victory. And, and, and he, he say it this way, carefully and kindly. Most of us do not lose the spiritual battles that we face because our enemy is too strong. Most of us lose the spiritual battles that we face because we quite simply don't take up the glorious power that is available to us through our Lord Jesus Christ and through the power of his word. Folks, he already cast out every demon he met in the New Testament. He defeated them on the cross. He rules over them because he is raised from the dead. We don't have to lose. We know, we know, we've read the end of the story. We don't lose at the end. But some of us live the Christian life like we're constantly in despair and in loss and in victory and all oh, the world's falling apart and too many things are happening wrong and there's too much devil and oh man I'm just going to go from lost battle to lost battle to lost battle we've missed the whole point Jesus is currently now residing in us victorious he is that and, and what when we ignore his word and when we ignore the characteristics, we're going to walk in, in, in loss rather than in victory. So we're put on the whole armor of God. The, the final uh, imperative that Paul gives is this. Stand firm. Stand firm. Having done everything, stand firm. And, and I qualified it with a couple of things. Stand firm on the word, in the armor, through prayer. God doesn't expect us to go out and find demonic powers and defeat them. They're going to find us, okay? That's not what spiritual warfare is. It's not praying against the enemy in some kind of weird ways. We don't need to do that. As popularized by, by maybe books like Frank Peretti's book, Piercing the Darkness and This Present Darkness. Fascinating books. I've read them uh, encouraged by them in some ways, but, that, but that, that kind of dramatizes spiritual warfare in a way that the Bible just doesn't do that. Our, our advance is not in finding the spiritual enemies and, and praying against them. Do you know where our advance is as followers of Jesus? Do you know where, where our, our offensive movements as Christians are in the spiritual war in which we face? Sharing the good news of Jesus with those who have not yet heard the gospel. 
encroaching on the territory of the enemy, the enemy who has your neighbors and friends and grandchildren and, and, and all of those around you who do not yet know Christ, when we encroach on his territory, sharing the good news of Jesus, believe me, you'll get the devil's attention. So we stand firm in the armor. On the word of God, folks, your foundation's got to be scripture. By prayer. By prayer. I think, I think if, if, if I'm honest with myself and maybe with all of us, the place we fall the, sh- the most short is our prayer lives. John Piper, in, in his wonderful book, Let the Nations be, Get, be Glad, puts it this way. He said, life is war. That's not all it is, but it is always that. Our weakness in prayer is owning largely to our neglect of this truth. Prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. Prayer gives us the significance of frontline forces and gives God the glory of a limitless provider. The one who gives the power gets the glory. Thus, prayer safeguards the supremacy of God in missions while linking us with the endless grace for every need. Notice how Paul ends this, verse 18. Notice how many times he says the word all. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And then also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to declare the gospel boldly. We're to pray all times. Christian, we're to be in an attitude of prayer always. In the Spirit, that means under His authority, interacting with God our Savior, with all prayer and supplication. Essentially, He's saying we need to pray all kinds of prayers. We need to pray prayers of thanksgiving and praise and adoration and acknowledgement and supplication and intercession. He's not saying don't pray this way. He's saying pray all the ways, all the time. Keep alert with all perseverance. What's he saying? We're in a spiritual battle. And we need to recognize that regardless of what else is going on in our world, we are in a spiritual war and we ought to be alert and ready. And a wartime mindset is simply the mindset of recognizing that the devil could, could come in upon us any moment and every moment. And we're just to be aware of that. Making supplication, watch this, for all the saints. Very often and understandably, we think about texts like this from a very personal perspective. Christian, it is your obligation to put on your armor. And it absolutely is. Absolutely, without without question. You have an obligation today to walk out of here being strong in the Lord, to walk out of here putting on His armor, to walk out of here standing firm on His word in prayer. You have that obligation. I have that obligation. But the way Paul concludes this text, he concludes it with an admonition to pray, not necessarily or primarily for themselves, me pray for me, that's there, included all prayer, but he emphasizes praying for one another. What if 
What if the success of spiritual warfare in the life of Wilkesboro Baptist Church for your family member or friend or neighbor depended on your prayers for them to put on the armor? Why is that the case? Because, folks, the power in spiritual victory is not ours because of us. It's ours because of Christ. And when we pray and seek his empowerment for ourselves and for others, Jesus, who's already victorious, chapter 1, is gloriously privileged to intervene in our situation. Let me illustrate it this way. I've had several moments in my Christian experience where I absolutely knew I was in some type of spiritual battle. Where it was obvious to me that there was demonic oppression or demonic influence in the situation. Most poignant moment that I ever had, there was a fella who had, who had kind of engaged in some occult practices, some Wiccan practices. And he was friends with a, a, a member of the church where I was serving at the time. And uh, we heard that he had come back home, and I mean, it was just a weird experience. We went over there, and there, there was a fog, I mean, just like a, a heavy fog around the house. And we did the only thing we knew to do, right? I mean, they don't teach you how to cast out demons in seminary, okay? Jesus sent his disciples off in Matthew 10 and told them, here, go do this, after they had watched him, but didn't know exactly what to do. So you know what we did? We got in a circle, and we prayed, we simply did what we knew to do, which is pray. Plead the power of God in this situation. When we looked up, the fog was gone, and the fella left. And a couple weeks later, he came back to Christ, turned his heart over to God. And I have absolutely no doubt that it's because the power of God is greater than the power of the enemy. I'm going to ask you to do something by way of invitation that some of you is going to make uncomfortable. And, and some of you won't do it, and that's okay. I'm not going to judge you. I want you to take this time of invitation as Dr. Mike and Retta sing, and some of you will sing, and that's okay. I want you to take this time of invitation and pray. Because here's what we do as followers of Jesus. We pray for others to put on the armor of God. Every single one of you in this room knows people that need Jesus. You can pray for them. You know family members and friends that are struggling spiritually. And they're struggling because the enemy has them or hates them and wants to destroy them. So guess what we need to do, church? We need to follow Paul's admonition and we need to pray. If you're willing and able, during this time of invitation, you can join me at the altar. And we can pray for their names and lift their names up to the Lord. If you're not able, then you can pray at your seat. Pray standing, pray sitting. But folks... The church needs to be a church of prayer. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, if you will. I'm going to offer a short prayer kind of over this sermon. And then, uh, if you'd like to, I'm going to invite you to pray for those people in your life that you know need the intervention of Jesus. Father, how guilty we are all too often of trying in our own strength to win a spiritual battle that is already won by Christ. We plead your grace and your mercy, your power and your intervention. We pray, Lord, that you would help us put on the spiritual armor that we need. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to know your power and your authority 
and your victory in our lives. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us as your church to be a church that depends on you through prayer and your word. Our God, we pray this in Christ's name. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.